text is Hebrews, Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. And the title is, and this will be for this Sunday and next, Dull of Hearing and Unskilled in the Word of Righteousness. And those are phrases taken directly from the text. I didn't make them up. Dull of hearing and unskilled in the word of righteousness. Hebrews 5, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. So there's there's that first phrase in the title. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Just this on the side, it's not really the view that our writer has of the scriptures, the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So all the contrast he's going to be talking about this week and next, he, he's, he's uh, saying um, what as physical food is to the body, so the hearing of the word is to your life, your spiritual life. That, that's the comparison. For everyone who lives on milk is, and here's the other phrase, unskilled in the word of righteousness. Since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from, from evil. Let's pray. Help us to see grace. Grace in the word of the Spirit when, when it comes with caution and warning. And, and uh, church, just uh, look at me for a sec. I'm not trying to freak you out or anything else, so don't. I'm just concerned there's some Presbyterian here that's saying, see those Pentecostals, I told you. Not that. But I, I knew right after that, between the second and third course, when Chris got up, I, I just knew I was supposed to get up and say something. And I, I uh, chickened out. Because Chris didn't know anything about it, and I didn't want to, you know what I mean, I didn't want him to look like an idiot getting halfway up and then have to turn around and go back and all that stuff. And he mentioned briefly in his prayer, and I appreciated it, without specifically mentioning the, the, the pride parade in Canada's largest metropolitan center. And I was, uh, I'm usually not right before church, I'm usually not meandering in the foyer way and shaking hands and stuff. I'm usually just uh, by myself. That's just my habit, and it's just kind of the way I do stuff. And uh, every once in a while, I think, you can discern that I think God speaks to me. And I was thinking about what's going on today, but not, not from the perspective you might think. And I wanted to pray about it and make some comments about it. So I'm going to take a few minutes, if that's okay. Is that okay with you? Just pray just for a sec with me, Okay. So, Lord, you, you know our, our hearts, as we did a few weeks ago, we ask for your mercy, your patience, your grace, and we join our hearts praying particularly for evangelical, Bible-based churches across the metropolitan area that, that there would not come an 
acquiescence, um, a gradual uh, acceptance. Pray that you'd give all churches who will, as we will, focus our hearts and minds on your word of revelation, your unchanging word of revelation, that you'd you'd grant unto your church um, consistency and courage and faithfulness. Oh, how we grow accustomed to people who are not only wicked, but approve of, Romans 1, approve of those who practice the same. I pray, for, I pray for children in this church who through no fault of their own, growing up in Christian godly homes, who through no fault of their own will never learn to abhor what is wicked and cleave to what is good. Children in this church who will one day reach young adulthood when many of us will no longer be around. And through no fault of their own, will have reached the place in their Christian walk where they honestly believe it is more Christ-like just to embrace than to abhor what is wicked. The psalmist said, my eyes pour out tears because the wicked forsake your law. And I pray that your church will not gradually try to love what is good without abhorring what is wicked. Not abhorring what is wicked is as sinful as doing what is wicked. Now, church, look at me. This is the part I wanted to talk to you about. If what God is after in in me is a new heart created for purity and righteousness that loves holiness, okay? And if for my whole life I am nothing but monogamously, exclusively, passionately heterosexual, But I embrace the cause of those who are homosexual. Okay? Do do I avoid God's judgment on that sin? It's not really a hard question. It's just one we don't want to answer. If I love wickedness, without doing it. Am I pure in heart? Do you see how this relates to more than just the people marching in the parade? Do you see how it relates to all the kids that are in children's church right now and everybody in this room and the church that is gradually learning to just tolerate? You know why? Because there's a huge price to be paid. You can still be against child abuse. You can be against kidnapping. There's no price to be paid for that. Where are your children learning to abhor sexual sin? Because they're not learning it in school. They're not learning it in the sitcoms. They're not learning it in much of the evangelical church. And if they grow up tolerating that sin, even if they never commit it, do they avoid the wrath of God? We're invested in this. It's a landmark issue for the church. And you here who are, who are 30 and up, and you grew up hearing all these sermons about Bible prophecy, did you not think it was ever going to get here? We're here. 
There will be a huge price to be paid for abhorring what is wicked, cleaving what is to what is good. By all means, reach everyone with the gospel of grace and mercy and forgiveness. But if you give them the impression that they don't need grace and forgiveness because they're not really sinning, don't kid yourself into thinking you're pleasing Jesus. Just a group hug is not holiness. It will bring the wrath of God on the church. Something to think about. And so, Lord... Give us grace and courage not to be dull hearers of your word, not to be stupid. We're not out to be. Uh, we're not out to be uh, just thought of as hating people. But we are out to love what is righteous, to abhor what is wicked, and to teach others to do the same, regardless of the cost. this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This text, about this we have much to say, hard to explain, you become dull of hearing, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. Preachers and teachers love this text because because it means at least some of the time when people find texts hard to understand, it isn't the teacher's fault. It means at least some of the time someone leaves a church saying he or she wasn't being fed. It means at least some of the time they may be saying something about themselves rather than the church they were attending. This is a great text. We're going to look at just verse 11 today. Next Sunday morning, 12 to 14. Point number one. Biblical truths require deep, focused attention, and apparently we need to be reminded of that. You see that in that 11th verse. About this... We have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Those two words about this. They have a surprising reference point. I mean, they obviously refer to the verse right before. Where Christ being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's one of the descriptions our writer gives of Christ's priesthood. It's it's a comparison. And I'm suggesting this morning that most of us don't care beans about Melchizedek. We don't know who he is. And the reason we don't care is Melchizedek has obviously nothing to do with my walk with Jesus. I can live and die and never hear of Melchizedek and it will change virtually nothing about my Christian life. And strangely, that's, that's the about this that verse 11 is speaking. The comparison between the high priesthood of Christ and that of Melchizedek. And right when we're saying who cares our writer is at pains to point out that that kind of thinking, why do I need to know about Melchizedek? Okay, That kind of thinking reveals something, of, something about the way I hear God's word. Something about the all-too-common way Christians form habits of hearing God's word selectively. This matters. I need to know about this. This doesn't matter. I don't need to know about that. We all do it. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is addressing here. As he writes these Jewish Christians 
about their, their, their habit of selectively hearing God's word. In, in other words, we are quick to create categories, our own self-created categories. Here's what's relevant. Here's what isn't relevant. Here's what matters. Here's what doesn't matter. And then, and then I, I bump into humbling texts like this one, and I'm told by the Holy Spirit that, that it isn't my desire for relevance that's forming my selective appetite for biblical truth. That's self-flattery. It's actually dullness of hearing. Laziness. It's hard for me to hear that. I mean, this text paints a very different picture of my indifference toward hard texts. It it forces me to look into my own uh, Bible reading heart. And it forces me to admit there's a big difference between being busy, time-pressed, hungry for practical truth... That's the way I like to think of it. There's a difference between that and being too lazy, too distracted, to dig for truth toward which I am not automatically inclined. Who needs it? That word dull comes from the Greek word nothros. It's most commonly translated slothful. Twice in this very letter, it's translated sluggish. We all know what slothfulness means. You you picture a person who may have a goal in mind, but will not do the necessary work to reach it. Slothful. We picture a person who may have a loosely formed inclination but remains inactive in terms of achieving it. Slothful. He he will incline to things that are easy and immediately appealing, and he will shun what is difficult and more gradual in terms of benefit and the production of joy. And And so the big initial idea in our text is this, and we all need to hear this. The big undergirding idea is it's going to take energy to hear many parts of God's word. The dull hearer described in our text, he doesn't lack intelligence. What he or she lacks is effort. Somewhere along the way, this dull hearer got the idea, perhaps from the church itself... That all biblical truth should be pleasantly, easily attained. Think about it. This is, this is the slope that gains momentum in, in the contemporary church. Bible translations should be modern. They should be breezy, colloquial. Books should be tantalizing and not too long. Preachers should show video clips from movies and they should tell funny stories. Church services should be energetic, up, and not too long. And they should be scheduled so I can have most of Sunday for my own use. Let's get them over at about 8.30 in the morning. I got the rest of the day. And they should be specifically geared to my own personal taste. Contemporary worship style, traditional worship style, liturgical worship style. They should offer all kinds so I should not have to put up with anything that I don't like. Like we order our drinks at Starbucks, right? Perhaps above all, the fruit of deep spiritual understanding, it should just fall off the tree. 
It should never be complicated. It should never be involved. And, and all of this, particularly that last idea, it finds momentum in the logic that because, something like this, because salvation is free and even a child can be saved, then everything else one can learn from God's word must be equally simple. And in this very text, our writer is telling us that this is patently untrue and dangerous to think that way. And so our writer, he sets out the call. Let's face the truth. Our text makes clear that there are things... See this? Hard to explain in the scriptures. And this in no way detracts from their value, their importance, or their relevance. Hard truths are not just due to their difficulty. They do not become optional truths. No. These things call for my holy effort, study, consideration. Our writer says to write them off as irrelevant or unnecessary is is only evidence of my own spiritual dullness. Simple honesty with this verse. It, It just requires all of us to look into our hearts when we come to God's word. If that assessment, you're sitting here this morning thinking, man, Pastor Don, that just seems kind of harsh that he would say that. Bear in mind, the scriptures offer only one path. Here here we are, we are called, even by the secular world, you and I are called people of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. By grace, you are saved through faith. Faith's a big deal. I mean, a lot of issues might be on the fringe, but faith, faith is the thing that makes you either in or out. And the strange thing is, these scriptures, if they're true at all, they offer only one path for the reception and nourishment of divine faith. It's in Romans 10, 17. You know the verse. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. So your faith, that, that's what's at stake in the way you hear those things that are sometimes hard to explain. It's not just your intellect. These are not some elective side issue for theologians that just like arguing about stuff. This this learning is, is, it's your faith. It's your life. Now, lest there be confusion, I need to explain. Nothing that I just said means that I have to know everything to be a Christian. That's not how God grades us. And that's not what this text is saying. What this text is about, and this is the crucial issue, is our tendency, our tendency to rest on levels of spiritual understanding, okay? Our tendency to rest on levels of spiritual understanding and maturity that were perfectly fine for an infant living on milk will never sustain an adult who's designed for solid food. It's a a wicked cop-out. It's a wicked cop-out. to use the simplicity of the gospel to justify a non-maturing walk with Christ. It's a wicked cop-out to use the simplicity of the gospel to justify a non-maturing walk in Christ. Point number two. Where dullness of hearing comes from and, and what can be done about it? 
that 11th verse. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have, and this word's interesting, you have become, become dull of hearing. I hope we can all find treasure in this grace-filled warning. We need to treasure the warning in this text before dull hearing sets in. And our writer, he sees his Christian audience. These were people who treasured the saving grace of Christ. Um, At one point in time, they were gripped by divine light and grace. They were turned from their lesser joy to treasures eternal in the kingdom. And now our writer writes to them, and they're not as interested as they were earlier. What, what, what happened? They were disciplined and excited and committed enough, listen, to, to leave a religion to which they were passionately committed and for which they paid and are paying a horrible price for leaving, okay? Okay? They were passionate enough about Christ to say, it is worth it all. I am following Christ. They were that passionate in their commitment. Now our writer says, you've become dull of hearing. And what happened is, well, time had passed. That's not a guess. We know this from words we'll study next Sunday. Verse 12. For by this time you ought to be. By this time. That's interesting. Because what our our writer is doing, he's looking at his audience. They, They are being measured by where they should have been in their faith. Considering how long it had been since their conversion. That's what he's doing. But they hadn't remained motivated. Now, they weren't unbelievers, for sure. They hadn't denied Christ. But, but like, <clears throat> like a knife that gets used over and over again through the years, they just lost their edge. That's what dull means, right? When, when does a sharp knife become dull? Well, that, that's really hard to pinpoint. All you know is one day you pick it up and it doesn't cut anything anymore. When did it happen? Well, it, not at any one point in time. It was just over time. You can't measure it, but you recognize it's there. Dull. But, but we have hope from the revelation of the Holy Spirit in God's word. We can actually see where this dullness of hearing comes from and... We can be preemptive in resisting it. So here's what we're doing in the rest of this message. We're over halfway done. I want to look at three aspects of dullness of hearing. Just in case I don't make it clear, let me tell you where we're going. Three aspects of dullness of hearing and how they can be resisted. That's what I want to look at. So first, I want to study proper preparation. For hearing the word. In advance. Second, I want to look at the act of properly hearing the word during the process. And third, I want to examine how to hold on to the word after we've heard it. That makes sense? That's what we're going to be doing. So point number three, a heart must be properly prepared to hear the word without dullness. I have three thoughts here. In preparing to hear the word without dullness, I must turn my heart from competing affections. It it can hardly be exaggerated in emphasis in the scriptures that, that a love for this world does more to alienate the mind from the penetrating power of God's word than anything else. A love for this world does more to alienate the mind 
from the penetrating power of God's word. I get that from 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And I, I wish that sentence weren't in my New Testament. For all that is in the world, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. Where does that come from? Well, not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now, however you interpret those verses, we are surely meant to see the opposite pull of two great sources of affection. The opposite pull of two great sources of influence, like anti-magnetism. You know how you turn magnets a certain way and you try and push them together and they push each other apart? That's what you're looking at in this verse. Each, each draws to itself, each pushes away the other. The things of this world, and I don't mean this in any cruel sense, make me dumb to the things of God. The things of this world help me not get the things of God. They keep my mind distant from the effect of God's word and God's house. And if I don't admit this and come to terms with it, I, I cannot help but be dull of hearing as far as the Spirit of God is concerned. You, you see this. This uh, September 24th, I start 35 years in this church. I'm sorry. And you, 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 you just see some things in 35 years. Here's what I know, as sure as I know my shoe size. The hardest thing for church people to handle is great and sudden success. Leukemia doesn't drive people from worship. As long as they're physically well, it drives people to worship. Success drives people away. I can't tell you the number of times I've driven home from church and said to Rini, you know, we don't see so-and-so around much anymore. I know they're here now and then, but material success, rapid, massive material success is filling up the center of their lives. And I've said this over, I've said this a hundred times to Rini. I've said, you won't, you won't see them here in six months. And you don't. Unless it's Easter. I'm talking about multiple scores of people. It, it's, just, it's just the law of opposing loves. It's 1 John 2, 15 and 16. It's just the way it works. So that's the first point. In preparing to hear the word without dullness... I must turn my heart from competing affections. It's costly. You have to figure out how you're going to do it, but you have to do it. I have to do it. Everyone has to do it. B. In preparing to hear the word without dullness, I must create desire for the word in advance of hearing it. It's like the last point, but slightly different. Create desire for the word in advance of hearing it. How are we going to do that? Unless you think we are powerless over our desires, and I think that's a pretty common perception. You can't help what you like and what you don't like. You can't help what you desire. If that's what you think, the word has some surprising things to say about that. 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3, like newborn infants... Say those two words with me. Long for. What? 
long for. Desire is being commanded. Is it not in that text? If I say long for something, I'm really, I'm not just telling you to do it, I'm telling you to love it, aren't I? He's, he's, he's commanding this desire. Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. We're being told what to long for. Now, how, how shall we obey this? How are we going to obey that? I mean, Peter is giving us the clue in the comparison he makes between spiritual nourishment. He does the same thing the writer of Hebrews does. A comparison between spiritual nourishment and the desire a baby has for its mother's milk. He's not telling us to remain infants. He's telling us to long for the word the way a baby longs for its mother's milk. In other words, to, to prepare your heart for resistance to dullness. Remind yourself of this comparison. Mother's milk for an infant answers to spiritual food for the believer. That you may, that you may grow up into salvation. So here's what Peter is laboring to say. Here's how you fight dullness. Here's how you help create desire. Recognizing the end to which we hear the word has much to do with creating desire in the heart. Because you start to see the Holy Spirit's goal in what you're doing. It's not automatic that we do this, by the way. There are people here in this service right now who come quite regularly. But without ever mapping out why. Why? Some come because their friends are here. There are people here who come because they think it's good for their kids. Many come because this is where their parents brought them a long time ago. I just go. Got a neat youth program. Got... Preaching isn't great, but the worship's good. And... But we all need to nail down Peter's point. Process why you're here biblically. God's word answers to your growth in Christ the way a mother's milk answers to the physical life of an infant. Tell yourself that whenever the church doors are unlocked, fight blind religious habit. The third thing. In preparing to hear the word without dullness... I must ruthlessly eject unrighteousness, especially cherished unrighteousness, from my heart. I get that from James chapter 1, 21. Therefore, put away. This is more than... When, when you see put away, those verbs, this is more than just asking forgiveness, is it not? Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Rampant wickedness is the wickedness most easily justified by the surrounding culture. There's an example of it in Toronto today. Rampant wickedness is the kind that flourishes because most people find it acceptable. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So this comes first, one. And then there's this, that's two. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So, sins in the heart repel the word. They don't keep me from reading it, but it will never be, it will never be cherished. It will never be implanted. You, you have seeds. 
You have them in the garage. You have them on a shelf in the garage. They are never going to grow there. Unless you plant them in the soil, you don't get anything. Nothing wrong with the seeds. Nothing wrong with the soil. You can buy thousands of dollars worth of seeds. You can, you can hear sermons. You can memorize scripture. You can read it over and over again. Buy cassettes. Well, nobody buys cassettes. Buy your iPod. Stream, download, get it all. But it will do nothing until, until this is done. When the mind is filled with the things of another nature, there is no room for the seed of the word to germinate. Cherished sin always makes the word feel either unreasonable or ridiculously unnecessary. And so there's an established order. Put away, then receive. If, if the first is not done, the second cannot be done. Those are the things that must happen in my heart to prepare to hear the word without dullness. That's what we just looked at. And that's the longest one. Four, there are things I must remember in the act of hearing the word the moment I hear it. And perhaps the most important thing is to listen to the word in recognition of its original nature, not in accordance to the means by which you hear it. Preachers, preachers. Preachers are all fallible fools on different levels. And in case you're here looking for hypocrites, we've got dozens of them. Churches are all fallible fools on all sorts of levels. Churches are all corrupt and imperfect, every one of them. And none of that changes the original nature of the word you hear in them both. I get that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. We also thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word of God, notice what he says, which you heard, you heard it from us. It was Paul, it was his team. That's where they heard it. He says, I am constantly thanking God that when you heard it from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God at work in you believers. Start with the end of the verse and work backwards. This word was working in these believers. Taking away dullness. Creating faith. Lifting expectancy. Challenging holiness. Infusing righteousness. Guiding their paths and steps. Transforming their affections. It was working. And then Paul says why this was so. The people heard the word from Paul and his team. They saw and heard these mere men standing there teaching. But it says that's not where they set their attention. That's not where they set their hearts. They didn't focus on the men teaching them. They didn't focus on the means. What they saw and what they considered was much deeper they focused on the original nature of the word they heard. They heard God. Do you hear God when you go to church? I sure hope you don't just hear Don Horbin. You're never going to get anywhere that way. There was a power, a dynamic, a, a transformation taking place. This is what we all want. This is the opposite of dullness of hearing. And for that to constantly happen, for the word to go to work in ways that overturn our meager expectations, we must constantly look beyond the parts of this church service that you see 
God is here, and that's more than just the title of a song we sometimes sing at the beginning of the service. Do you hear, do you hear the voice of the one who hung this planet in space? Paul says that's, that's what these people heard. It's God. Last point. There are things I must do after I hear the word. So before in preparation, during, hearing the voice of God, not the means God uses. And point number five, the things I must do after I hear the word to prevent dullness of hearing. And the question here is, did I really hear what I think I heard? And, and the reason that's not a silly question is the scriptures call us to ask it. Because apparently it's possible to hear without actually learning a thing. This is the last text I'm going to show you. 2 Timothy 3.7. Always learning and never, like you'd think just once in a while, <laughs> never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. How can, how can that be? How can that be? There's a kind of hearing that doesn't really learn. It looks like hearing. Everyone, everyone watching me thinks I'm hearing. I'm paying attention. Perhaps... I even think I'm hearing. But there's no knowledge of the truth that's carrying over from all of it. Consider this case study from the lips of Jesus. I'm just going to read it to you. You don't have to look it up. He also who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here. Here. You have what is yours. And his master answered him, You wicked and slothful. Oops. Slothful? That's the same word from our Hebrews text. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have. You knew, so you ought to have. You knew, so you ought to have. Invested my money with the bankers. Not my coming, I would have at least received my own with interest. Take the talent from him. Give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So as Jesus tells the story, it's his story. He can tell it any way he wants. The strange feature of this parable is this judged servant knew how his master worked. Right? He had knowledge of his master's desire for profit. I knew, he said. But what this servant knew somehow didn't register. Can, can we all agree with that? The master says, look, if, if you knew this... If you knew it, you, you didn't think about it much, or you would have, how hard can it be to put it in a bank and give me some interest? So, so you knew it, you didn't do anything with it. He seems to have had knowledge. He seems to have had as much knowledge of his master as any of the other servants. What's the difference? Well, their knowledge motivated them to do something. His knowledge didn't motivate him to do anything. Here's the take-home, okay? We're looking now about after you've heard the word, after the benediction. To hear without dullness, to get benefit from what you have heard from God... Truth must always be retained by immediate application, or it is not learned at all.
Truth is learned morally in addition to just intellectually. And as if to underscore the importance of this truth, Jesus adds something quite unexpected, I think. It's not just that we lose some added little spiritual tickle if we don't retain what we hear. It's not just revival might bypass us. No, it, it's much more serious than that. It's we will lose all that we had learned up to that point. And so the closing lesson is any hearer of the word, here we sit, any hearer of the word, include myself, is bound to hear much that will collide with his own desires, his own self-interest, his own natural affections, his own spiritual laziness. Any hearer of the word is going to bump into those things at one point or another. All of us. There will be much to hear that will seem difficult and costly. Those remarks I made when I was sitting right there. But that's only the judgment of first appearance. The real cost is in hearing the word lightly. That's the real cost. The real cost is not just that you lose some kind of benefit. The real cost is that everything that you've learned up to that point starts to feel unreal. It starts to feel unreal. Do you still have that opening text somewhere? Sorry to bug you. Do you have the opening text that I read from Hebrews that has the 11, 12, 13, 14, the very first slide? Let's all stand. Let's read this out loud together, okay? Here we go. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Everyone said?